Good morning, Northgate. It's a. Uh, I'm I'm happy to be here this morning. I th- thank you guys for for taking time out of your week um, to be with us on a Sunday morning, um, to gather together to hear the Word of God, to worship together, to fellowship together, um, and to be a part of the community that we call Northgate. So. <clears throat> um, Thank you for joining us. I have to start this morning with a small confession of my own because I feel like it it would possibly hinder um, my focus this morning without confessing. I got kicked out of a soccer game yesterday. Um, It wasn't my proudest of moments. uh, And it's a confession because I reflect on it. I'm reflecting on it a lot, uh, even though I felt like I was justified <clears throat> in my anger at the bad call by the ref. <clears throat> um, I didn't use any swear words, and I didn't yell at him in a way that was dishonorable, uh, but it was enough to get me kicked out of the game, and that makes me not a good representation of the church. Yes. That's even, thanks, Steve. No, we did not win, <laughs> which makes it sting a little bit more. Um, but I did apologize to the, the league representatives this morning for Taryn's team as well and let them know that I will control myself a little bit more. Um, I confess that partly because it's on my heart to confess, but also um, to let you guys know I am human and I am fallible and um, I'm not a perfect person, and sometimes I make mistakes, and you guys get me. Um, Who I am is who I am, and um, I will continue to confess my sins before you all when I I make a mistake, Um, and if you guys see me do something that is out of line, please call me to it. Um, Stephen was also there watching the game with me, and I apologize, Stephen, for being a representation for uh, you as well, and, and my family, my wife, and my kids. So um, confession is a beautiful thing because now I can walk a little bit more um, at ease and at peace and allow myself to forgive myself and ask that you all would forgive me as well. And with that, I can kind of walk forward. All right. So with that out of the way, we are on the second week of uh, this series called Cosmic Christmas. And uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at the battle of light and darkness, specifically in Revelation chapter 12. Um, But before we get that, just to recap, the whole purpose of uh, this series is for us to read it together. So I'm going to read a large portion of Scripture, um, a large portion of Revelations with you guys so you can hear it. And, And he says that the hearing of this word should be a blessing As we read it together, the reading of this should be a a blessing. The point of Revelation is not to agree, but to grow, right? We said that last week. Some of the things we talk about today, you might not agree with me. It depends on which angle you come at the scriptures from, whether it's from a Catholic perspective, Protestant perspective, or any other type of perspective looking into the scriptures and trying to decipher what all of this imagery looks like. Some of you might disagree with the, the... perspective that I deliver this morning. Um, If you're a guest 
joining us. We don't talk about Revelations every week, um, but it is a book. It's one of the 66 books of the Bible that we believe should be a blessing to us, and there's a lot to learn um, from it. So we read uh, most of chapter 1 last week, and then chapters 2 and 3 are an address. John is addressing the seven churches of Asia Minor that this letter would have circulated through. I'm not going to read all of chapters 2 and 3 simply for time's sake, but I do encourage you to go back and read those. Um, And in those chapters, John addresses the good, the bad, and the ugly parts of the church. And so there is some exhortations in there and some praises in there to these different churches that um, are applicable to us. Some of the churches, you can read into it and be like, oh, wow, yeah, we're a lot like that church. And others of them might not relate to us, but, but there is a good majority of chapters 2 and 3 that if you look at them, um, you can say, okay, we need to work on this, or we need to... Um, go back and pursue our first love again, or we can remember the heights from which we have fallen, okay? Um, So I encourage you guys to read that on your own time, and I also want to encourage you to read Daniel chapter 7, and notice the the striking similarity between what John describes as heaven and the vision that Daniel has of heaven as we read Revelation chapter 4, okay? So in this this chapter, I want you guys to kind of just listen and picture what heaven looks like. Um, Because if we can get a mindset that has us looking at heavenly things and and taking an image and looking into this cosmic realm that he paints a picture for us, it might change some of the way that we live. Revelation chapter 4. After this I looked, and remember this is John receiving a vision from Jesus. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. If it helps to close your eyes and and picture this, please feel free to do so. There before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard, speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also, before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. Even under his wings, day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was 
and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, and the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Let's pray. God, we picture this heavenly realm, a throne on which you sit on. God, and surrounding this throne are these elders and the, the, the gathering that encompasses this throne and the, voice that, the voices that cry out and proclaim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. May we be amongst those voices even here and now. May heaven come to earth as we seek you this morning. God, we seek you this morning and our hearts cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. If we were to sit here this morning and just proclaim that over and over and over again, God, you would be worshipped. That is our purpose here this morning. We pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, I love coming back to the scripture often to picture what heaven can, is going to be like. And, and as I, this, this week, this series, I, I'll tell you guys, I have spent more time in study and research trying to figure out what, does, what do these images look like, right? It has drawn me to my knees in worship, and, and I've seen different perspectives from the far left to the far right, and I know you guys are all interested in, in it as well because some of you have given me books, some of you have given me CDs, you guys know what CDs are, <laughs> right? You remember those things? They're little discs that you put in the computer and they tell you, they, you know, we've, we've, uh, I've, I've gone through tons and tons of different sermons and I've listened to a, at least one sermon every day trying to figure out what are the different perspectives that are going on here. And the more and more that I consume on this, the more and more I realize I have no idea where I stand. I have no idea. I I am, I'm really, um, I wanted to come up here and, and bring you guys something completely new. <laughs> I, I can't say that I can offer you something completely new from the scriptures that was like, whoa, this is new to me. However, I can tell you that this is critically important to what is going to happen in our future. As we read in, in uh, Revelation chapter 4, they're proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Doing the historical study of, of what was happening in this time, there's plenty of offerings up to the, the relevance of this scripture to that time period and prior Right? The, the, the story of Revelation and throughout the New Testament, there is references back to the Old Testament, the prophecies that were given in the Old Testament pointing to the day of the Lord and the coming of Jesus. There is this historical approach to Revelation saying God has always been. 
from the beginning of time. And we're going to look at in Revelation chapter 12 that this whole story started in the Garden of Eden. When God created the heavens and the earth, so did his relationship with Adam and Eve and for us from the very beginning of time till now, till the future. And it's been, it's been fun. At the same time, it's kind of been this coexisting thing as I've been researching Revelation and the historical side and what's, what the implications are for right now and where it's going to go, what might happen even in the current events throughout the world. I've, I've had this cool experience with my own personal historical story. Right, last week I shared about um, my great, great, great grandma and grandpa who started the church in Franklin County, um, Kansas, the Brethren Church out there. As I did more and more research throughout this, this last week, I found out that I had um, another great, great, great uncle who started a church with Robert Fuller, the, the originator of Fuller Seminary. And then another great, great uncle who had his church ordained by the president of Biola University, both down in Southern California. And I was like, I, I started thinking, what, what are the implications of this historical uh, pastorhood that has gone throughout my personal genealogy? My brother's a pastor, my grandpa was a pastor, and I have great, great uncles and grandfathers who are pastors. And for me, it was a uh, a revelation, and it wasn't through the scripture, but it was through my own personal life, that God has been faithful through, to my family and the blessings that he has given to my family to be men and women of faith throughout history. And it's caused me to worship God, to see God's faithfulness through my line. I, I think a lot of that same thing happens throughout history in our Bible in the covenant relationship that God has ordained with his people Israel. That through his people Israel, history has happened throughout the Old Testament. The stories that we have throughout the Old, Old Testament are focused on this people group. And they continue to be focused on this people group, which becomes critically important as we start to look at some of these end, our last days, end times type of events that unfold in the book of Revelation. With that, we get to, uh, so uh, verse, or chapters 4 through 11 really is a lot of um, imagery and project, prophecy um, and projections of what this future ordinance is going to look like, what is to come, okay? The 65 books prior to this are what has happened, and, and there's some uh, prophetic other things that are, happened in there as well that are pointing forward, but Revelation being a lot of prophetic words happened within those uh, seven chapters. I'm, I'm not skipping them for the sake of insignificance, but I'm going to skip over to chapter 12 because I want to give it a focus on Christmas. As we are nearing Christmas, this is a, a series that is talking about the cosmic Christmas and the events that unfolded in the heavenly realms around the story of Christmas. As we picture Revelation chapter 4 and we see these, these creatures, these divine creatures with eyes that are all seeing and wings that are able to, to travel about and they're able to see all of these things, I, I don't want to be ignorant of the fact that we live in a world where we see the physical, but there is a tremendous spiritual battle happening right now as well. And so I do want to dive into that cosmic realm 
in this chapter. All of those things that tend to intrigue us. What about angels? What about demons? What about their interaction with people on this earth? Do they have free will? All of those questions are kind of jammed up in this chapter, and I want to look at it. So let's start by reading Revelation chapter 12. Oh, actually, this was kind of cool. I put it into um, an AI generator, and I came up with this image. I'm going to show you the image before I read it. Okay, where is it? There it is. Okay, just, just for fun, I was like, AI does a tremendous job of taking like, your, your, um, your words and what you think and then put a picture to it. And I was like, whoa, this is what popped up in this, this section. Okay. So as we read this, kind of maybe picture something that, that could look a little bit like this, might look a little bit different, but this is what AI came up with. Okay. A great sign appeared in heaven. Oh, let me put the scripture back up here for you. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. It says, now a great sign appeared. Throughout this, this section of Scripture, there's going to be seven times that John says a great sign appeared. The, the Greek word for great is this word mega. Okay, it's the word where we get mega from. And mega meaning that this was a grandiose vision that he had. There is this appearance that he is seeing, and it is massive. This is mega. This is a mega appearance. And I also think that it relates to this image of this this woman saying this is an important figure. This figure is a massive figure in the uh, picture that God is trying to present to us. The the other ones that are mentioned, the woman is, is possibly, this is where it gets tough. Who is the woman? Okay. Potentially, this woman can represent, um, let me see what some of these people said. The Roman Catholic perspective is that the woman represents Mary. Okay. That's the Roman Catholic perspective. The, uh, the Christian scientists say that this is Mary Baker Eddy. <laughs> okay. The originator of Christian Scientology. Um, a woman clothed with a son, scripturally, um, some of them say that this is Israel. Okay? That's often represented throughout all of the Old Testament. That is the Protestant perspective. John plainly says that this is a sign. And if we do look throughout the Old Testament and we try to piece together what some of the Old Testament says about Israel, it would be likely, in, in my opinion, that this would be representative of Israel. There are several other perspectives that are possible. Some, the, the one on Mary, I can see where the Catholics are coming from, um, but there are others that can be presented as well. Okay? Um, the woman represents Israel. The dragon very clearly re- says that it is representing Satan. Okay? 
we see, he, he proclaims, the dragon is Satan. So that one's obvious. The other mega references in here is the man-child, later on referring to Jesus, the angel uh, Michael, the offspring of the woman, the beast out of the sea in later chapters, and the beast out of the earth. So the major characters in the unfolding of this event are being introduced. If this is a representation, let's put this image back up here first, if this is a representation of Israel, it would make sense through all the Old Testament prophecies that the delivery of this child birthed through Israel is the birth of Jesus. In fact, this is the story that inspired this entire series on a cosmic Christmas. Because oftentimes we can approach Christmas with this idea that it was a simply human event. That it was miraculous, yes, that uh, Mary was, was a virgin and giving birth to a baby. Yes, miraculous. It, it, we can look at it in completely human terms and go, Yes, it was incredible that the wise men saw stars in the sky and they traveled to and fro or from the, from the distant east to go and find this baby Jesus to bring him gifts. Yes, but it's so much greater than any human perspective. This was a cosmic event that transformed our entire everything the entirety of of things seen and unseen, of time past, present, and future, the events that revolve around the birth of this child changed everything. The great fiery red dragon had seven heads and ten horns with crowns on his head. Crowns typically represent power. They represent kingdoms. There's a lot, a lot of different theological perspectives that say this is what the seven heads represent. This is what the ten horns represent. I'm not going to give you my opinion on that one. As many of the the theological things that were presented on this, um, I couldn't say firmly that this is what it is. But what I can say that is, is that this dragon represents power that he isn't just another figure in our in our realm or in the outer realm he is the enemy the dragon the devil he might look something like this for us that might be a little bit scary or gruesome to think about but to god it's nothing he's weak He is powerless. It's not a a dichotomy of powers where Satan rivals God in any sort of way. He is still under subjective power of God. But he is the one who tried him. He is the one who tested him. He is the one who tried to overthrow the birth of Jesus. And in fact, in verse 4, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. The enemy, the devil, has been trying to defeat the work of God from the very beginning. This is not a story that is new. In Genesis chapter 3, when the serpent came to tempt Adam and Eve, he thought that he was victorious. Right? 
When, when they started building the Tower of Babel and, and the people were building up to the sky, the enemy thought that he was victorious. When, when the, the temple was destroyed, when, when the kingdom fell, when the Israel kingdom fell, the enemy thought that he was victorious. He keeps thinking that he can win. He stands before Mary, or he stands in the face of the birth of this child, and he tries to defeat Jesus. He tries to defeat God by, by proclaiming Jesus' life before he was able to do what he was called to do. If you can remember the, the human perspective of this, Herod issued a decree to, de, to destroy all of the babies two years and younger in an attempt to destroy the plans of God, but he did not win. And he has not won a single battle because if you truly believe it, God works all things together for good. That in these attempts of the enemy, God has other plans. Because he was not able to be defeated, it says she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, fulfilling that prophecy in the Psalms. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. He ascended into heaven. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 years. If this is Israel... You start asking, how is this so? I think it's pretty obvious that the male child represents Jesus. That this is the story of Christmas. That despite the, the, temp, the trials and the temptations of the enemy, Jesus still comes. And Christmas is still delivered. Now we can look at this 2,000 years later and say that Jesus wins. At this point, it says, war broke out in heaven. Michael, let me, sorry, one more. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. War broke out in heaven. War broke out in the celestial, in the cosmic realm. Because of the significance of this, this event, there was war that broke out. Michael and his angels, so even the, the archangel of God was able to defeat the devil. It shows you that his power is not that great. That our God is greater, and God fights this battle for us. So the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old, in reference back to that Genesis passage, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. With that, and that one... I'm going to pause for a second. That one, I have a hard time myself grasping around. I have a hard time imagining how can this devil who knows God, who's in the heavenly realm, take with him one-third of the angels? And the only explanation that I've been able to find that gives me some sort of peace in that is that these angels also had free will. 
that these angels were also able to make a decision to turn their backs on God. So the enemy, the devil, turned his back on God and he took one-third of the angels with him. I think it should act more as an um, encouragement for us than something to be feared to abide and remain in Christ. That if you know him, remain in him. If you know him, stay in his presence. Don't question him. Don't, well, you can ask questions. He can handle all of our questions. He can, he can reply to all of our questions. He can issue those prayers. But I heard something, I think it was Tim Keller, he said, if we knew everything that God knew, we would answer prayers in the exact same way that God would answer prayers. Right? If we knew everything that God knew, we would answer prayers in the same way that God would answer prayers. These enemies, the enemy of of God, uh, trying to take out Jesus, and in that attempt to fight against God, one-third of them rebelled and were cast from the heavens. And it says, now they are bond up in chains until the final judgment of the Lord. They will return for a final judgment of the Lord and be destroyed completely. That is the promise and the hope of the scriptures that he has given us. In continuance, this is our response, a joyful declaration in heaven. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that this time is short. Three things from this this piece of Scripture. This is how they overcame. And if we're talking about the future uh, of this passage, the they that is being referenced here is the church. We've been grafted into the people of Israel. We are now considered the faithful and the elect. Being considered as the faithful and the elect that follow Jesus and are under his grace, he says, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. When the enemy comes in and he's attacking, and this season is one where I know the enemy loves to attack because anniversary reactions come up. We remember the times that make it hard. We remember the losses that we've had in this season. They're more prevalent the more on the forefront of our minds. Some of us experience seasonal depression. Some of us experience the woes and hardships of financial depletion. Families. Sometimes it's hard for us to be with families, people that we're supposed to love and enjoy our time with. Sometimes that's hard, and the enemy's going to come in, and he's going to attack. And he's going to say, hey, do you remember this? Do you remember how God wasn't faithful at this time? He's going to twist these scriptures. Where was God during this? Where was God when grandma passed away? 
Where was God when you lost your house or your job? He's going to throw in these deceitful thoughts into your mind and say, where was God? The same way that he said, hey, did God really say don't eat from the tree? Where was God when the temple was destroyed? Where was God when Jesus was on the cross, beaten, bloodied, spit on, and dying? Where was God? We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by our testimony that God was there because our sins had to be on the cross. God was there because the temple had to be destructed. God was there when Adam and Eve ate the fruit because that gave us grace in our coming into this earth. God was there, and the the overcoming is by our testimony that, yes, God was there on the cross because Jesus didn't stay on the cross. Yes, he died. But he rose from the grave, and that's the power of our testimony, is that even death can't hold him, that he is alive. And our testimony is what allows us to overcome, even to the point of death, that we will proclaim this message over and over again. And this is what is going to get us through these hard seasons, that yes, God, it was hard, the pain and the trials of this life and we've suffered and we've been tried, some of us even unto the point of death, but God, you are there and you've been faithful from the very beginning. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and by not loving our lives unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. He knows that this lifetime is short. And our power and our testimony is our power. The conflict on the earth ends with this. This is how we'll wrap up this morning. Now, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, because that's what happened, right? When he lost this battle, and when Jesus died on the cross, and, and the enemy realized finally, oh, I didn't win, he was cast to the earth, and he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Israel has been persecuted for years. But the woman who was given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished for a time, and times and a half a time, from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The enemy is going to keep fighting. He has continued to fight from the very beginning. And when he realized that Jesus had won the battle on the cross and he had risen from the grave, he turned his attention from Jesus to us. We are now involved in the cosmic battle of Christmas. Our battle is not with flesh and blood, but with the powers and the principalities of this world. I say that more as an encouragement for you this season as well. That when we get caught up in the things of this world, the finances, the lights, the traditions, 
the arguments with our families, the soccer games. Remember, our battle is not with flesh and blood, with the powers and the principalities of this world. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the power of our testimony. With that, we, we do celebrate the blood of the Lamb. We celebrate the crucifixion of Christ, the purpose in which this baby was delivered unto us through the tradition of communion. As we take communion this morning, I don't want to take it from a fleshly perspective. I want to take communion from the cosmic perspective this morning, that when we take this cup and when we take the bread and we drink of it, we think about, I want you to reflect upon yourself and think about your position in the cosmic realm, in the realm of eternity. And when you eat the bread, I want you to think about what is your flesh? How is it being involved? How is it relating to the flesh of Christ that was broken for us? So he says, as often as you drink this cup, this is the blood of my covenant. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. And as often as you eat of this bread, which is my body, which has been broken for you, eat it in remembrance of me. So we're going to do that as the worship team comes on forward. Let me go ahead and pray for us. And then you guys can introspect a little bit on yourselves. If you need to confess a sin, if you have struggles with somebody else in the room, um, a brother or a sister, please go and talk to them before you take communion. Um, but with that, let's, let's go ahead and pray. And uh, God, I'm just a man of flesh and blood, a created being. one that you knit together in my mom's womb. You know the hairs on my head. You called me by name. And in the smallness of who I am, God, I know that you have called me also to be a spokesperson for your cosmic victories. God, that you have won the battle and that you will win the battle. And in that, we place all of our hope, all of our trust, all of our lives, God, are placed in your hands. And with that, God, you have elevated us into the heavenly realms to be ones who sit before the throne of God and proclaim holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God, as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we come before your throne as repentant beings, knowing that we have failed, but receiving the forgiveness and the grace of Christ. It is by your blood that we have been healed and with that, God, we approach your throne with confidence and proclaim that you are the Lord. God bless 
this time as a church, as we partake of this together, may we be bound together as one in this proclamation. We pray this in your name. Amen.